Well, we're over in the book of John here this morning. The book of John, we're going to see some things that help us in our cause. Last week, we were looking at how our beliefs need to be pruned, how they need to be cut back, how we have some things that are hindering us from moving on and what God wants us to do. We started this series off reading the scripture, Matthew twelve forty three. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits, more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So shall it also be with this wicked generation. We saw that this demon spirit was cast out. Someone came up to that spirit, came up to that man, and cast that spirit out. And that state of that man was better. And some changes were made. And those changes prevented that spirit from coming back in. But he went out and got seven others, more wicked than himself. And they were able, despite the changes, to enter. And the Bible shows us that insufficient change was done. I wanted to review that here, especially with you this morning, because there's something in particular we're going to be looking at here today that will show you this principle that we have already seen in Matthew. Well, we saw that faulty beliefs will hold us back. We saw how the, the Israelites had that, and they kept wanting to go back to Egypt. They kept thinking that Egypt was better because they had a false or incomplete memory. They had a false or incomplete truth. They came to a false or inaccurate conclusion. In order, I guess, for us to get past this, we've got to identify the truth. I may not understand it, but I've got to identify that's truth. That I, in my spirit, I know that's truth. And we identify that truth. That truth, once it comes in, will expose what is false. Then it's up to us to change our belief and to begin to, to think, speak, and act out of this. Last week we looked at Peter. Peter said, I have never eaten anything common or unclean. We looked at how he had a belief that was so strong that he can say he never went against it. And we looked at some of our own beliefs that we have and we believe them. But we've gone against some of those. We know it's not good to run a stop sign. But how many have run the stop signs? We know some things might be dangerous to do, but we've, we've gone against it. We have gone against it. But today we want to take a look at something in particular. What do you do when you believe something can happen and even want it to happen, but also believe it won't happen to you? You ever had that? You believe... That something can happen. You believe maybe even it should happen. But you also have a belief that it's probably not going to happen to you. Now, sometimes this doesn't hinder us. How many believe that the ocean contains sharks? Yeah, we believe that. I believe the ocean contains sharks. How many believe 
that if you go in the ocean, a shark may find you. Not saying he will. There's a possibility there. How many of you still go in the ocean? I do. Why? Because I don't believe it's going to happen today. If I believed that a shark was going to attack me, I wouldn't have gone in the, in the water, right? So it's not hindering me there. But sometimes we have a belief for something good, but we just don't think that that good thing is going to happen to us. And that hinders us. We're going to look at a man this morning who had this. John chapter 5, verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews and, the, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then, whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now, we've talked about this before. You're pretty familiar with the pool of Bethesda. But here's this pool and an angel. It says an angel. Got to believe what the Word of God says. It says an angel came down and the waters would be stirred. And so you had to be watching for the pool to see when the waters were stirred. And when they were stirred... If you were the first one in, it didn't matter what you had. Any disease, any infirmity, didn't matter if you were lame, blind, it didn't matter how long it had been going on, whatever condition you had, all you had to do was get in the pool. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Angel comes down, stirs the water, get in the pool. Doesn't give all the details of this, whether it happened once a day, couple times a week, a few times a month. doesn't say any of that. It just says that it would happen. But it happened often enough that the people would gather around, all those that were lame, all those that were blind, all those that could make it over there, and they would be watching the water, waiting for the water to stir. Can you imagine if you were there and you're waiting for the water to stir? And one of your relatives came over and said, Hi, Steve, how you doing? And you turned over to say, Hi, how you doing? And just then the water stirred. And somebody else got down into the water before you. That would bother you, wouldn't it? I was there all day. I was, I was watching all day. I didn't do anything but watch that water. And the one time I turned around, it happened. I could discourage you. Well, he goes on in here. Now, a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. How many of you would say that that is a condition that has gone on for a long time? So we're talking about conditions that have been going on for a long time. This is a condition that has gone on for a long time. In fact, the Bible even says it. When Jesus saw him laying there and knew that he had already been in that condition, what? A long time. So even 38 years to the author and to Jesus is a long time. I think most of us would agree with that. 38 years is a long time. So Jesus saw him lying there. He knew down in his spirit already that's been going on for a long time. And of all the people that are there, 
This is the one he seeks out. And he said to him, Do you want to be made well? Now you are around a mess of sick people. Paralyzed. Blind. Whatever's going on. Now if you're blind, you say, how do you know that the water's been stirred? Well, you bring somebody with you. If you're paralyzed, how do you get in the water? Or you bring somebody with you. And that person also is watching the, the water. And the both if you're paralyzed, both of you are watching the water. And as soon as you see it stirred, you, uh, you don't want to holler because if you holler out, then everybody else knows and you may not be the first one in. But you have some kind of a system set up. You know, you tug his robe or something like that and he just dumps you right on in the, in the pool. Whatever it might be, you got a thing set up. So you have this kind of a system set up to overcome whatever problems that are there. Now it says, again, what's his condition? Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him, what? Lying there and knew they had already been in that condition a long time. He said to him, do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Now, it seemed from this that he may not be completely lame. It would seem that he has some mobility. But his mobility is slow. He's hindered. It would be better if he had a partner who could come to the pool with him. And when the water was stirred, that person would put him in. But he didn't have that. Now Jesus says to him, do you want to be made well? I don't know about you, but I think that's kind of a silly question. The man shows up at the pool. This is not his first time at the pool. He's obviously been there before. Because he knows and he has seen the waters get stirred. And somebody else got in before him. He's trying to get in. But somebody else got in before him. He saw the water stirred. He saw the result. He's excited. This is the way I can get out of this. And so every day, a couple times a week, we don't know what their frequency is, but he would come to the pool. He either got there on his own very slowly because of the infirmity, or he got there because somebody brought him. However it was, he got to the pool. He got to a good spot. Now, if you got a pool... And in that pool is healing power. And the entire city, the whole region knows that in that pool is healing power. Where is the best place to be? On the edge. You want to get as close to that pool as you can so that you can get in. Now, you can picture this. If you had a pool like this, then everybody in the region knew that there was healing power in this pool and all they had to do was wait for the water to be stirred and then get in. How many people would be lined up around your pool? You would have all kinds of people. You could not use the pool anymore. The pool would be surrounded by people and that would be all there is to it. You probably couldn't even get close enough to the pool to take care of the pool. You couldn't even tend to the pool anymore because People are just all over the pool. They're all right there. You can't even, can't even walk in it. Now, if, if that ever does happen, I saw a little gadget. How many of y'all like gadgets? I like, I like gadgets. I got alerted to a really cool, nice little gadget. 
And uh, this little gadget, all you got to do is you take this little floaty thing and you throw it in your pool. And this little floaty thing floats around in the pool and it's constantly checking out the water, testing out the water. And what it does is it sends you a message on your phone that your pool needs attention. And it says, and it makes it really simple. How many have ever had a pool and had to add chemicals to it? You got the chlorine you got to add, and then you got the, um, the stuff for the alkalinity, and then you got the stuff for the pH, and whatever else you, that you have, those are the, the main things. And you have to add these things in. Well, this thing would test the water, and it would say, add, and it would tell you what to add. But not only that, not only that, this whole system is set up that they have these little packs and this thing works with the packs. And it will tell you, add two blue packs. Add one green. So all you have to do is when your phone beeps at you and says, pool needs attention, you go out to the pool and you just take whatever pack you have and you throw it in the pool. And that's it. Glory to God. This is good. How many are willing to pay $1,000 for this right now? $1,000 for this right now. I would pay $1,000 for this. And, and I was surprised at this because I looked at it. I'm thinking, dear Lord, this is really cool. But how expensive is this going to be? And <laughs> it was not that expensive. Now, I haven't done all that much research on it. I'm going to do some more research on it and find out. But I, I saw the price on this. I said, I'm spending that much on chlorine now. <laughs> and you're saying I can spend that much and get all the stuff I need. Now, this thing is not... this thing. I'll tell you what, this is cool. This thing will actually send a message not only to you that your pool needs attention, it knows what your supply is. Because as it sends you a certain amount of supply, it deducts what it tells you to add. And then it sends a message to the mother company and says, we need more of the blue packs. And then at your door is the blue packs when you need them. You don't even have to go to the store anymore and buy the stuff. You don't even have to take inventory of the stuff anymore. It's doing it all for you. And then if you ever want, what's the temperature of the pool? Have you ever wondered, what's the temperature of the pool? You know how you do that? You go out to the pool, you pull up the thermometer, and you look at the temperature of the pool, and it says, it's 80 degrees. Oh, people can go swimming today. It's 80 degrees. Not anymore. You just pull up your phone. What's the temperature of the pool? And I'll tell you. You don't tell you what the temperature of the pool is. How many are ready to sign up right now? Man, I'll tell you what. I am ready to sign up. I am ready to say, forget all my other... All the chemicals, this is good. And if we ever got to that spot where the angel came down into the pool and we could not take care of the pool because of all the people, that's all right. Because we got that little floaty thing going around in there. And he's telling us, add some more chlorine. <laughs> Glory to God. Well, that's just a side note. But he shows up at the pool. He wants to get healed. So are all these other people. So if you have all these people who want to get to the pool, this does not happen up here. I've never seen this happen up here. But I have seen it happen other places where people want to get to church really bad. You think, yeah, I've seen people want to get to No, 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 no. You have not seen people who want to get to church like I've seen people who want to get to church. Because we've seen people who want to get to church and they don't just want to be in church. They want the front row. Because that's where the anointing is. <laughs> you know, the anointing only goes back so far. 
They went to the front row. If they can't have the front row, they went to the second row or the third row. They got their spots that they want to be. And, um, you know, demand picks up. So we would have this uh, going on at Rhema Winter Bible Seminar back when Brother Hagin was around. And you had an auditorium that was set up to hold 5,000 people. But they changed it for seminars. And they would put chairs in places where there were not chairs. And instead of seating 5,000, it would seat 7,000 people. 7,000 people could fit in to the auditorium. And if you wanted a seat in the auditorium, because they had the auditorium and they had the balcony up on top. If you wanted a seat in the auditorium, service starts at 7 o'clock. If you want a seat in the auditorium and you got to the church later than, how many are thinking quarter of 7? Quarter of 7 for a seat in the, the main... No, that would not get you a seat. That would not even get you a seat in the balcony. If you showed up a quarter to seven, you're in the overflow. Fifteen minutes early is not on time. If you showed up at six o'clock, one hour before service, how many of you think that would be enough to get you in, in service on the, on the main floor? Yet yeah, that would not get you into service on the main floor. If you got to church one hour ahead of time, you would not get a seat on the first floor of the auditorium of a 7,000 seated auditorium. If you got there an hour before service, it might be possible to still get a seat in the balcony, but don't count on it. If you got there at 5 o'clock, how many of you think if you got to service two hours before, that should get you a seat on the front row? Two hours before, that would get you a seat in the front row. Not even close. Not even close to the front row. No, if you want a seat on the front row and you are not in line to get into the church by at least two or three o'clock, you probably are not getting on the front row. In fact, the service would end somewhere around one o'clock and people would go out and get something to eat and come right back and stand in line for the doors to open for the next service. Now, the doors would only open an hour before. So 6 o'clock, you'd come on in for a 7 o'clock service. That's when the doors would open. And hang on to your kids because it's a stampede to get everybody in there. Now, how many have never been in a place like that where you had to get there that early to get a seat? Yeah, that's, that's people who want to get to church. So I know from being in those kind of services and that kind of experience, and this is not just one service. This is a whole week of services, and this is every night of the service. This is how it goes. Not the daytime ones, but in the nighttime ones, this is how that would, it would go. So if you wanted to get there, you had to get there early. Well, here's a pool, and the first person in is going to get healed. What do you think the line for that is? And how much of a front row does the pool of Bethesda have? So if he wants to get in there, he's got to get as close to the edge of the pool as he can. Which means he's got to get there early before everybody else does. And he's done this for a long time. Does he believe that the waters have healing property? Yes, he does. He believes that the waters have healing property. Does he want to be healed? Well, why is he showing up if he doesn't want to be healed? 
What's Jesus ask him? Do you want to be made well? I don't know. Sometimes you just got to wonder. Do you want to be... Why am I here? Why am I... Now, what's a good answer for this question? Do you want to be... If I came up to you and said, do you want to be made well? What would you say? Yes. Yes. I mean, yes or no. I don't know why anybody would say no. But, you know, if somebody came up to you and said, do you want a million dollars? How many of you would have any other answer but one? That answer would be yes. You would not be searching for any other word. The only word that you would need is yes. Yes. That's it. If somebody wanted to come up to you and say, I want to give you a brand new car, any car that you want, you go pick out the car and I will pay for it. If someone came up to you and says, do you want a new car? How many of you would say, yes. So this man has had this infirmity for 38 years. And Jesus comes up to him and says a very obvious question for the answer, which would be, yes. He says, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, sir. (laughs) That's not coming out of my mouth. (laughs) It might follow my yes, yes, sir. But... Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Does he say yes? He didn't say yes, did he? Does he say no? No. What was the question? Do you want to be made well? Answer is yes. Or no, he doesn't say that. He says, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, apparently there's some mobility there. Another steps down before me. So he's been through this a few times, right? Jesus does not assume by our actions that we desire to be healed but by our obedience to his command. Jesus does not assume by our actions that we desire to be healed. Just because you're at the pool does not mean you want to be healed. For us, that would tell Jesus, I want to be healed. I'm at the pool. I'm in the healing service. I'm at the front of the line. I'm getting hands laid on me right now. Of course I want to be healed. Do you want to be healed? Even if the things that you do, the actions that you have are of great inconvenience, it does not mean to Jesus that you want to be healed. I'll put this in the rat line for you. I want to make sure you got this. After a long time of not receiving what we hope for, 
How many have had a condition for a long time? You have not received what you have hoped for for a long time. After a long time not receiving what we hope for, our expectation of it diminishes. My expectation to receive what I hope for diminishes when I have not received it for a long time. If I catch the flu and I get prayed for to be healed or I pray to be healed, I've had that for a day, is my expectation high that I'm healed? Yeah. If I have a condition for 38 years in which I've been showing up at the pool for at least some of that time and I have not been healed, is my expectation diminishing? I would say so. I put this in your in your outline for you. Generally, the longer the answer, the greater the loss of expectation. Generally, the longer the answer, the greater the loss of expectation. Put it to you this way. Do you want to be healed? Yes. What's the What's the level of expectation there? High. Why? Because the answer is short. But if the answer is long, where is the expectation? Because I'm explaining why it hasn't happened. Why, I, why it's lingered. You can use this for politicians and for news media as well. The longer the answer the more they are covering up the truth. I put this in my note. It's not in yours. Long answers are meant to hide something. Short ones to reveal. Long answers are meant to hide something. Short answers to reveal. How many times does Jesus give long answers? He is known for giving short answers, isn't he? Why? Because his goal is to reveal. The Pharisees give what kind of answers? Long ones. Why? They're there to conceal. So, his hope and expectation is that somehow he can get into the pool after the angel has, has stirred the waters, right? His hope is get in the pool. But his expectation of that happening is, is, is where? Is low. If you have low expectation on anything, God will have a hard time getting you the answer. Remember Peter and John, they came to the gate beautiful and they came upon a man who was lame. And he said to the, Peter says to the, to the man, he says, look on us. And he looked on them, what? Expecting to receive something. His expectation was high. So what Peter did was different than what Jesus is going to do here. Because the man's expectation was already there. Where's this man's expectation? It's low. How do we know that? He doesn't answer the question. And his answer is long. 
You can test that truth out all you want to. Go ahead and test it out and find out. You know, and people are answering questions. The longer the answer, the more they're trying to hide. The shorter the answer, the more they're trying to reveal. I told you before, one of my favorite, um, favorite guys campaigning of the last number of years was Herman Cain. Loved Herman Cain. Absolutely. Because you asked him a question. Every time I watched him, I watched him a lot. Every time someone asked him a question, you know what he always said? Two words came out of his mouth right off, right off the bat. One or the, one or the other. He would either say, yes, and then explain that yes. Or he would say, no. And he would explain that no. Do you want to raise taxes? No. And then he'd explain it. Do you want to? And they would ask, yes. And then he would explain it. I just love that way. Because it's like, here you go. You're, you are telling us exactly what you want to do. Now, you ask some other politicians, do you want to raise taxes? Well, you see. <laughs> oh, man. And they'll give you a five-minute answer. And at the end, you think, wait a minute. Did he ever say, answer that question? I don't think he answered that question. This man does not answer Jesus' question. But Jesus was able to expose what he needed. He's here to be healed. But his expectation on this method is very low. So what does Jesus do? Let me read it for you. There it is. And immediately the man was made... Go back to eight. Do I not have eight? I don't have eight in mine. Wow. Pulled up eight. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. How does this man expect to be healed? The stirring of the waters. His expectation of that method is very low. So what Jesus does here is he changes the method. The man has faith or he wouldn't show up. But he has low expectation of this method working because of the times it hasn't for him. It has worked for other people, but hasn't worked for him. So what Jesus does is he changes the method, thereby giving his expectation a whole new platform to work on. Rise, take up your bed, and walk. Now, from those statements, we know that whatever infirmity he had that was slowing him in his ability to get into the pool had something to do with getting up and probably walking. And Jesus said, rise, take up your bed, and walk. Now, when Peter and John came to the layman at the gate, beautiful, he grabbed him by the hand and said, well, he first said, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. He was lame. Now, he gave the same command to him, rise and walk, just didn't say, take up your bed. He said, rise and walk. And he grabbed the man by the hand, and the man, it says in the, in the word that the man leaped, leaped. 
That's him doing. That's not Peter pulling him. The man leaped. And he went around walking and leaping and praising God. So though we're not told exactly what his, his infirmity is, it would apparently be similar to the lame man at the gate. In that though he was not completely lame, he was hindered in his ability to rise and his ability to walk. So much so that he couldn't get into the pool ahead of other people. So Jesus changes the method, thereby giving him an opportunity to have all brand new expectation on a new method. In Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, it is the tree of life. The Word of God knows that when we don't have what it is that we hope for come, we can get discouraged. Psalm 103, verse 3, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. He's there to, to heal all your diseases just as much as he's there to heal, to forgive all your iniquities. But he was wounded for our transgressions, Isaiah 53, 5. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes. We are healed. He is the healer. The method doesn't matter to him. He wants them to get healed. Now Jesus came and there's a whole mess of sick people around there, but he comes to this one. He came to the one who had faith. Faith is always the thing that attracts Jesus. And he came to the man who had this great faith and he singled him out. Can you imagine if you were in the midst of a bunch of sick people and you said, do you want to be made well? How many, how many would say, yes, you just overhear it. Yes, but he's focused in on this one. And this is the one who doesn't say yes. He says, sir. And he begins to explain why he has not been healed. Now, I've given you this before, but our actions sometimes yields a specific command from God for us to obey. I have actions of faith. This man had an action of faith. He showed up at the pool. He is on the edge of the pool. He got there early so that he could get near the edge of the pool. He's watching the pool. He has faith. He has an action that's there. Sometimes those actions that we have will produce something on the inside of us where God gives us a specific command. Do this. Rise. Take up your bed and walk. Now, the good thing about this man was he does not argue or have any more discussion. The man who had the nice wordy answer rises, takes up his bed, and walks. But his action yielded a specific command from God for him to obey. Some people look for God to respond to their action. God, look, I'm here in the healing line. I'm here at the service. I drove how many hours to get here? I took off from work. We look at the actions. God, look at the actions I have taken. But God may have given a command on which he awaits obedience. We're waiting for something for a long time. But God, God has already spoken something to us and he's awaiting obedience on that thing he spoke to us. Have we obeyed? Well, we've got to make sure that we do. God always seems to be able to give us a command that challenges us to submit to His will, doesn't He? 
Doesn't he always know the right, to, right command to tell us? We think, oh, I'm submitted. I'm walking before God. I'm submitted. I'm doing good. And what happens? God says, do this. Oh, that? I don't want to do that. Can I do this? This is harder. No, no, no. Do that. Go wash in the river. Go wash in this area. I don't want to go. Oh, I don't like that. Something that challenges our submission. Are we submitted? Until we obey, no connection to the power is made. And therefore, we have no results. Remember, we have to connect to the power. You've got to make that connection to the power. So often, we want God to respond to the action we are prepared to give. God, I am willing to do, and we list what it is we're going to do. I'm willing to do this. You know, the rich young ruler came, and maybe he was willing to give a tenth of all that he owned. What did God ask for? I want you to give it all. Oh, man, I wasn't prepared for that. Not ready for, for that when he went away sad. He will respond to the obedience he is prepared to receive. God will respond to the obedience he's prepared to receive, not the one you're ready to give. Make sure that you know what it is that he's asking. God is already moving on our behalf many times, and through obedience, we open the door to receive it. I wrote this note down. Obstructions to receiving from God are more often born of a lack of obedience than a lack of faith in God. Or lack of faith. A lack of a faith action. Verse 10. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured. Verse 9. And immediately the man was made well. Took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him, who was cured, it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. Isn't it just like some people? They see you received a great miracle and they go back to, why are you carrying your bed? He answered them, he who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. Apparently he didn't have to identify himself as the guy who was sick. They apparently knew that. But they saw this previously sick man, some kind of infirmity, carrying his bed. Why is he carrying it? Because Jesus said, rise, take up your bed, and walk. So he did. And he's carrying around his bed. They say, why are you carrying around your bed? It's a Sabbath. We don't carry beds around on the Sabbath. How did the bed get there? Did you ever think about that? How did the bed get to the pool? He didn't say carry the bed, a bed. He said carry, rise, take up your bed, and walk. That was his bed. Where did his bed come from? His house. How did the bed get from his house to the pool on the Sabbath? Somebody carried it. Was anything said about somebody carrying a bed to the pool? No. There's something said about 
the bed being carried from the pool. So the bed being carried to the pool by the man with the infirmity is not a problem. Or with the man with the infirmity, he's on the bed and the bed's being carried or somehow he's dragging that bed over there and whatever might be going on. That's okay. But now that he's well and carrying the bed himself, hmm, now they say something to him. They didn't say anything before. Why are they saying something now? Because whenever you receive something from God, there will always be people around who want to distract you, get you to not think about that, get you to do something different. Or if God gives you a command, there are always people around to tell you why you're doing it wrong, why you shouldn't be doing that, well, how that wasn't God. All sorts of things like that. And none of them had any trouble with the bed getting to the pool. You might think, well, maybe he just had a bed at the pool and a bed at home. I don't think they had reserved beds over there. I think you had to get there early to get your spot. They made you do that down at Ramah. Because sometimes people would come in in the morning service and they would take their Bible and they would put their Bible on the front row seat. And they would think, I'll go out and I'll go to lunch. And when I come back, my Bible will be right here and I can come back whenever I want. And I'll have a front row seat. And they would be wrong. Because after the service was over, the ushers would go around they would pick up all the Bibles that were on the chairs. And they'd put them back by the desk and you'd have to go back by the desk and get it. <laughs> but they told you about that. They said, don't leave your Bible here. We'll be picking it up. You have to go back there and get it. He did not ha- probably have a poolside bed and a homeside bed. It's probably his own bed. He needed to carry it and get it there somehow. But nobody had any trouble with that. The Jews therefore said to him, who was cured? I would seem to think that would mean that they knew he was cured. Why not rejoice that the man who had an infirmity 38 years was cured? No, it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, he who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? But the one who, had, who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. There's a whole lot of people there, and Jesus just kind of filtered on back in it. Now, Jesus was not well known as a healer here. This is uh, John chapter 5. If you go to John chapter 4, verse 54, it says this. This again is the second sign Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. What was the first sign? In John chapter 4, water one turned into wine. What was the second sign? The second sign was the nobleman who came, who said, Come and heal my son. And Jesus said, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, and no sign shall be given it. Go your way, your son lives. And the man had to turn around and go. Only on the word of Jesus. That was the second time. This is the third. According to the word here. 
And the 54, this again is the second sign Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into the Galilee. Now, if there was any sign between verse 54 of chapter 4 and verse 1 of chapter 5, we don't have it recorded here. Maybe you could go back on through and find out there were some other things that were done. But whatever it was, this is early on in Jesus' ministry, and he has not known too, too well yet that he is the healer who's going around doing things. So they didn't know who it was. And this man didn't know who it was either. Look at verse 14. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple. Who found who? Jesus found him. That, doesn't that mean that he was looking for him? If you found your keys, how many have ever lost your keys? And then you went and looked for them. You would say, I found my keys. Now, I just pulled my keys out of my pocket. Did I find them? No, I knew exactly where they were. I put them there. They're still there now. I don't find my keys in my pocket. You ever had, you know, a little granddaughter, she'll, she'll go around, she'll find something that belongs to me or belongs to Nani. And she'll, when she finds it, <gasps> pop up, I found your, and she'll tell me what it is. Oh, I knew exactly where it was. But that's not how we respond to her, is it? Oh, thank you. Thank you for finding that. But there was really no finding going on because it was never lost. But sometimes we have lost a thing and when we lost it, we go around and what do we say when we come upon them? Oh, I found it. Here it is. So it would seem that Jesus is looking for this guy. Why is Jesus looking for this guy? How many people do we have in the Word of God where Jesus looked for them after they were healed? We don't have that, to, we don't have that recorded too many times, do we? We have the ten lepers, and after they were healed, one came back to say thank you and found Jesus. And Jesus was kind of surprised that only one came back. But they came back to find Him. But Jesus here, it says... Went out to find him. Afterward, this is after the confrontation with the Jews. Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Do you remember Matthew? After the demon was cast out and the place was swept, put in order, Empty, swept, and put in order. And then the demon came back, went out and got seven others, and came back, and Jesus said what? The last state of that man was worse, worse than the first. And what's he say here? See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. What's he telling them? A miracle has occurred and changed a situation that was around for a long time in your life. Make some changes or else it will be worse. Isn't that what he's saying? Isn't that exactly what we showed you that Matthew was saying? 
A long time condition has been altered, changed. Sin no more. Now, why doesn't he say, what, what, what kind of sins are you talking about? How many know if Jesus showed up at your door, knocked on the door, you opened the door, Jesus is standing there. You know it's Jesus. Down your spirit, that's Jesus. Everybody who sees Jesus knows that's Jesus. You don't have to be introduced. It's, that's Jesus. That's, that's it. So Jesus shows up at your door, knocks on the door, you open the door, here's Jesus. Jesus says, sin no more. How many of you are saying, uh, what sins are you talking about? <laughs> we're, not, we're not saying that, are we? What are we saying? Yes, sir. <laughs> Why? Because I know exactly what he's talking about. <laughs> he's just being nice for me right now. He knows exactly what he's talking about, too. But it's not for anybody else to know about. He's in the temple. He's not in the privacy of the guy's home. He just comes up to him and says, sin no more. Message received. Message received. Why does he say sin no more? Lest a worse thing come upon you. Now, do you hear that this way? Sin no more. You'll make God really mad and he'll really hit you this time. No, that's not what God does. God doesn't hit you. Where did the demon spirit come from? In Matthew. Demon spirit came from? The enemy. Why did the enemy come back on? Why did the, the seven come back on? Why was that? Because not sufficient change was made. Jesus laid it out there. Empty. Swept. Put in order. But the empty was the problem. We needed to change that one. We didn't do it. We didn't do it. Sin, no more. Apparently, folks, whatever sin was involved with this guy was part of what kept him in this condition of being infirm. And so he says, look, sin no more. That was it. See? You have been made well. He's letting them know. Your condition changed. Now here's your, here's your role. Sin no more lest the worst thing come upon you. Now how many of you are saying, thank you, sir? Man, I thank you. Appreciate you finding me. Out of all those people, thank you for finding me. Then thank you for finding me again and giving me this instruction and this warning. That's not what this man does. We don't know if he says anything to Jesus at all. He may have. It's just not recorded. Can't say for sure that he didn't say anything to Jesus. I can't imagine anyone not at least saying thank you. But who knows? It's not recorded. We go right to verse 15. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. These are the guys who got on his case for carrying the, the bed. Who told you? Well, this, this guy. Why, is it, why does he find the Jews? These are not nice people. They have not acted nicely toward him. Why does he go find them? Because first off, he wants to be off the hook with them. Stop looking at me funny. 
I was told to do this. I didn't violate any law. I was told by a person who made me well. So he departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Hey, I didn't know who it was. Now I know he came and he found me in a temple. And it was Jesus. He may have even asked them, who are you? What's your name? And Jesus may have said, my name is Jesus. And then he went out from, from there. Because apparently, he recognized them not before. Jesus was there. He's interacting with them. He doesn't say, oh, this is Jesus. So how does he now know when he sees Jesus that it's Jesus? I think he must have said, what's your name? Who are you? I'm Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth. Thank you. And he goes over to the Jews and tells them. Verse 16, For this reason the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. For this reason the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. Now think about this. Do the Jews want people to be healed? I would think that they would want people to be healed. Even later on, the Pharisees say, look, bring people on the other days, not the Sabbath, to be healed. They were okay with the healing part of it. They just were not okay with it being done on the Sabbath. They just uh, had that one little hang-up. So I believe that people should be healed. But I also believe that people should not be healed on the Sabbath. Isn't that what they're saying? The, the man who was healed says, I believe that the pool has healing properties. And when the angel comes down and stirs up the water, that healing is in that, in that water. But I also believe that someone else will get in the water before me. So I believe this, but I also believe this. This is kind of canceling out my uh, expectation, my belief. And we do this ourselves. How many know and believe, you don't have to raise your hand on this, but how many know and believe that God wants to prosper you? That God wants you to have an abundance? And yet you're going for an interview for a job and you say, I don't think I'm going to get it. You're going to go ask for a raise? I don't think you're going to give it to me. I believe God wants me to prosper. We say this on Sunday every day. We take up offering. That God, through the hands of men, would bless me. Right? But then we go out on Monday, and what do we do? You see, we have contrary beliefs. I believe this, but then I believe this. I believe that Jesus wants me healed. Or that wants people healed. I just don't know that I believe that he wants me healed. I go to a meeting. I see people being healed in the meeting. I believe that Jesus is healing in this meeting. That the power of the name of Jesus is healing people in this meeting. So I go out to the front and I get ready to have hands laid on me to be, receive healing. And what do I believe? I've been through this before. I've had people lay hands on me. It hasn't worked. I believe that the power of God is here and present to heal people. But I don't believe it's going to have an effect on me. 
So I do believe, but then I don't. I do believe, but not when you make it more personal. I do believe God wants to heal all. I'm just not sure about the me part. I do believe that God wants to prosper all people, but I'm not sure about whether he likes me enough for that. I do believe, but see, I also believe this over here. I also think this is true over here. Well, you see, if you believe and Jesus come up to you and says, do you want to be well? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> right? That's what we're doing. But if you have this other belief going on inside you, do you want to be healed? Well, you see, For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. Not that he had done these things, but that he had done these things on the Sabbath. So Jesus starts out with a bang. This is early on in his ministry and already people want to kill him. He's still got three, three and a half years to go. It's not time yet for, for that. We've already started right off the bat. Jews want to kill him. I put Pharisees in there too because probably the religious leaders are at least involved if not part of the main gang. What is it that you believe but you also have another belief that's hindering you from getting that thing done? Look at it this way. How many of you have seen the pictures of some nice bridges? I mean, you love the picture of the bridge. You see the thing. It's kind of a, over an expanse, you know, a rope bridge going over a if that rope bridge broke, there's not surviving. You're not surviving it. You are dead. It's just way too tall. And you look at that, and how many want to go over that rope bridge? Right on over to that, that thing. I saw, I don't know you know where it was. I, I saw this thing where in some country, foreign country, they had this uh, uh, bridge that would connect two villages, I believe it was, and this is the only way that you could connect these two villages was on this bridge. And it was over a huge gully. And what they would do is uh, they had to redo this bridge every year. Every year they had to redo this bridge. And so what they would do is the people on this side would uh, dry grass and all kinds of things they would do to make the reeds and the, and the things. And when people on this side would do the same thing. And they would take the same kind of grass and whatever it is that they would make the reeds out of and they would dry them. And then they would take them and they would twist them. And they would, and they would make miles of this stuff. They'd be working on it all year long. And when the day came to replace the bridge, because you see, it's a, it's a grass bridge made out of grass covering a huge ravine. If it gives out, whoever's on the bridge is dead. That's it. That's it. But it's the only connection between the, the two villages. It was their lifeline. And so they would uh, start off on the, this this village on this side, the other village on the other side, and they would start attaching the ropes and their way to, to make this thing, and it would make kind of a V. And you would have the, the wider part out here you use for your hands, and your feet would walk on the, on the rope that was right there in the middle. 
and they have this big ceremony and they would make this new rope bridge and they, they would somehow meet this thing in between. I guess they had ropes that would pull it up and so they somehow connected these things. I don't know how they, they did the whole thing, but they got it connected and they have a big celebration and then they would get rid of the old rope bridge and then begin to dry things out and get things ready for next year. How many want to go across that bridge? Grass bridge over a huge ravine. But they did it all the time. Replaced it every year. Every year they replaced that bridge. I guess you would too. Maybe that bridge would last two years. How many of you want to be on it that last, that last year? Mm-mm. Nope. Replaced the whole thing. And uh, they looked like they were having fun. I don't think we would be having fun doing that. I think, uh, you know, can we get the construction company to come in here and put a nice cement bridge in there and just uh, not have to mess with this anymore? That's more what we would be doing. They wanted to kill Jesus because of this. This is a good thing. It was a good thing. But they wanted to kill him. They had a belief. You may have a belief that you need to get across that ravine. But you may also have a belief that though that bridge is held up for everyone else, you watch all these people going across. And they're all going across and they're having a good time. Just going across one after another. One after another. You can only go on the bridge one direction at a time. It's not a two-directional bridge. If people are going this way, that's the only direction we're going. And then when they're all done, then the people want to go this way can come on and go this way. And you watch and watch and you see all the people making the, the trip across, doing just fine. And then it comes to your turn. All right, go ahead. I'm not going. Why? You saw everyone else who had going across there. They're, they're doing fine. I'm not going. I just know that for me, it's going to break know it you see I believe that that holds up fine for all, all you folks otherwise I'd stop you but I believe it works out fine but it's just not going to work out fine for me we see we have this belief that's hindering us because we've, we've built up our faith to believe that Jesus came to die on the cross for our sins that Jesus came and through his body and the beating that he had we are healed we have that belief but you say I also have an underlying belief that is probably not going to work for me. I think it's here for everybody. But probably not for me. How many of you know people, anyone here in the room, know anyone who has been struck by lightning? Anybody? You got one person. Were you? Was it you? No. I was just wondering if that might answer a few questions. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> no, I just have a problem with you. You knew some people? Yeah, I had a family friend. He, he was struck twice. He was struck twice and he lived. Yep. Yep. But that definitely explains things. It does explain things on his, yeah. on his end. <laughs> yep. All right. So we have all these people in the room and none of us were struck by lightning or know anybody who were struck by lightning. Only one. And yet, why don't you go out in a thunderstorm? You go out in a rainstorm. Why don't you go out in a thunderstorm? Because what's going to happen? I'm going to get struck by lightning. I'm not going out in that thunderstorm because I know I'm going to get struck by lightning. If you wonder why I run in thunderstorms, it's because I don't believe I'm going to get struck by lightning. I don't believe it. 
It's also why I don't play the lottery. I understand that you have a greater risk of being, uh, of being struck by lightning than you do winning the lottery. But people play the lottery all the time. But see, we won't do that because even though I know probably nothing bad will happen. If I go out there, I know it will end. I know it will end. It will come and it will find me. That lightning is looking for me. It's saying, are they out yet? Because as soon as I step out there, it's going to come down and get me. I just know it. See, we have the, see how these underlying beliefs can come in and be a problem? We have built up the overall belief, Jesus heals all. We have built up the overall belief that Jesus has the power to alter and change anything. But I have a belief that says, though he will do that for all, though he will do that in these, I don't believe he will do it for me. And until we address that problem, that's why our condition has continued to go on. Because I believe everyone else can lose weight on a diet, but I know I can't. <laughs> Isn't that right? Can't lose can't lose weight on a, on a diet. I, I was listening to a, a lady talk. Um, I, I guess she's fairly well known. I was telling my daughter about it the other, uh, yesterday because I had just, just heard this lady talk. And um, she had started a group called Fat Girls Run. Anybody ever heard of Fat Girls Run? Okay. Well, there's apparently a group. You've heard of Fat Girls Run? All right. We have one person who has heard of the group Fat Girls. I did not hear about this group until recently. I heard from the lady who started the group. You know who that is? Oh, okay. You just know the group. I heard from the lady who started the group. The the girl who starts the group, she weighs in the area of 235, 240 pounds. And she says that she's been out there running. And uh, she is an avid runner. I mean, she runs a lot. She runs a lot. She runs marathons on a regular basis. She runs marathons. And she's out there running. And she said, you already hear some of the comments we get from people. She's out there running. 240-pound girl out there running. I don't know how tall she is. 240-pound girl out there running. And said so people would see her and says, honey, honey, maybe you should try walking first to lose weight. We're not just talking average people, folks. We're talking runners have said this to her. Now, I say that for a particular reason. Because runners are in just an incredible group of people. And they support other runners like you have never seen. They don't even need to know you, and they will support you. Unbelievable the support you get from other, other runners. And they would say this kind of stuff to her. And she would say, oh, I'm actually training for three marathons. Oh. <laughs> I mean, she, ran, I, I don't, she didn't say what her, mileage, her weekly mileage was, but she ran a lot of miles. And she could not get below 235, 240 pounds running mileage to train for a marathon. <laughs> How many think she's doing all she can? But she said that's not her goal. People said, people can call me fat. I'm okay with that. I am fat, she says. <laughs> I am. It's a descriptive word. It's all right. It doesn't bother me. But for some people, you know, they jump around and stuff like that. And that... Uh, that's not good. See, there's, there's a reason 
why conditions are continuing on in our, in our life. We've got to find out what it is. I may believe that God wants to deliver me from that condition or that God wants to deliver people from that condition or that God can change that condition. But for some reason, I'm not believing that it will happen for me. Ask yourself this question. If Jesus were to come and lay hands on you, he's ready to lay hands on you, and he says, do you want to be free of, and you name the condition that you have. How quick are you to say yes? And if you are quick to say yes, what happens on the inside? Do you feel a little twinge of unbelief? Do you feel a little... Well, of course I do, but I just don't think it's going to happen. Is that kind of thing that's going on inside? There's an be- unbelief that is in you that you've got to get rid of. How are you going to get rid of that unbelief? You've got to identify it first. You know, most people have never even identified it. They have worked so much on the overall belief that they have not identified the underlying unbelief that is in them. I work so hard on believing that Jesus is my healer. I hear sermons about Jesus as my healer. I hear sermons about the power of the name of Jesus. I hear sermons about what I, can, what I should say, how I should say it. And I, I do all those things. But you see, I've got this underlying unbelief in me that says, I am going to have this condition for the rest of my life. That's what we've got to deal with. We're spending all of our time, and the enemy loves this. Spend all your time on that big belief because that one we got on the inside, that one that's bringing it right down the home, that's the one that's keeping you bound up. And if he can get all your attention on the big belief that Jesus is the healer or whatever it might be, you're spending no time on taking care of the other one. So how do we get rid of those kind of things? What is it that we have to do to get rid of that underlying unbelief that is holding us bondage into those situations, into those things that are going on in our life, that are keeping, that's keeping me in the, in the place where I am. Well, well, we'll pick this up. We'll pick it up next week. We're already over time. Didn't even realize that. But there's a way to identify it. There's a way to get it out. And if we don't get it out, the reason is not because you don't believe the overall truth. The reason is there's an underlying truth that's holding you back and keeping you in that area. Whatever your reason is, whatever your because reason is, the Word of God can weed it out and take care of it and fix it. Let God do it. Would you all stand up with me? This morning we have Communion Sunday. Our ushers will come. They're going to distribute these to you. The Word of God says that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, He took the disciples up into the upper room. This purpose of this is for our memory, memorial. Talked before about how much God is into the memory of things. That we need to remember them correctly. We need to remember them right. But a lot of times we even remember this wrong. We're not understanding 
of what it is that God says about communion. What it is that God says about the elements. But the bread represents the body of Jesus Christ which was broken for us. That upon his body was put our sickness and our disease. That we don't bear it, he already did. And the blood of Jesus was shed for the remission of sins. That his blood deals with your sin problem. His body deals with your health problem. But too often we mix them up. We use the blood for healing. We use the body for, for sin. No, that's not what we're supposed to do, folks. They're separate for a reason. Salvation has two parts to it. And just as much as you are forgiven, you are healed. Just as much as you are healed, you are forgiven. It's equal. But what happens when we believe one side more than the other? We're forgetting the other, the other part. Don't forget. He said, do this as often. Or do this often in remembrance of me. It doesn't say how often is often. He just says, do it often. We've come to a place where we do it about once a month. Not because the Bible says do it once a month. It's just uh, how we end up doing it. If during the month we decide let's throw an extra one in, we're okay. Because he just said to do it often. He knew we would forget. He knew that we would complicate it. He knew that we would do more, do things to it to mess up the teaching. As simple as forgiveness is, just ask God and receive. Same is true of sickness and disease. Calling upon the body of Jesus Christ, the same as calling upon the blood for forgiveness. Let's eat the bread together and remember the body of Jesus Christ and what it does for you. At the end of supper, the whole meal in between, to separate these two things. He took the cup and he said, this represents the blood of the new covenant, my blood, which is shed for you. He poured out his blood for us, folks. Let's receive his forgiveness, his blood, strength together. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for the glorious blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you that we are healed by the body and bought, paid for, forgiven by the blood. You bought us back, redeemed us from the curse of sin. Father, we thank you for it. We give you the glory and the honor for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, glory to God. Thanks for sticking with us a little longer here. We have um, some prayer.
prayer and praise reports. And Toe is at home today. She was not feeling very well yesterday, but I heard from her text message she's doing much better. Just decided to stay home and give her body that extra rest. Uh, Jim is at home. He is he ate dinner last night, but apparently it made him sick, and so he uh, he stayed home uh, for today. He has a uh, procedure to go through on Thursday to see if they can find out what's causing all the nausea and such things. So you can pray with him on that, that whatever needs to be found would be found. Anna said, uh, she found her hearing aid. Those of us on Facebook already know that. If you're not on Facebook, I don't know. You would have known this already. Found her hearing aid. That was uh, that was fun. We had t- fun talking about that on Wednesday. Um, also, she ended up in the ER on Friday for a test. But praise God, everything turned out okay. And uh, I believe this came from Phyllis. Praise report. Had a wonderful vacation in Florida. Lots of rest and good and safe travel. Also by faith. I am at my desired weight, and um, I am not sure what she says on that one, but she's at her desired weight, but there's an end on there. I don't know what it is. All right, we'll have to, find, have to wait until we get to the, uh, see the cursive, <laughs> cursive. I don't read, Mandy, help me out with that. Oh, she's giving us her, her stuff for that. Okay, thank you. All right, so she's at her desired weight. Oh, this is a, this is what she's proclaiming to be doing. All right, so she's at her, she's proclaiming to be at her desired weight, to be an avid reader and stop sweet carbohydrates. Glory to God, I love carbohydrates and they, they love me. All right, uh, I know we had a per. Prayer in there. Where did it go? There it goes. All right, so I'll stand up. Vanessa, her mother, Alva, is having eye surgery tomorrow. So be in agreement that God will anoint the doctor's hands and give her wisdom to perform a successful surgery and that mom will come through it safely and have a speedy recovery. And I'd like to make a motion that Vanessa has to write out every single person's prayer request and prayer report. That was easy. Man. Someday... I hope I have handwriting that neat. Wow. I'm sure other people that y'all have need handwriting too. Just, man, that was easy. Uh, Bobby and Candy, prayer for Bobby's radiation this uh, Thursday. It, and, uh, it's the, this is the first day of radiation. That's right. And we wanted to lay hands on Bobby. Come on up here. And we will lay hands on. Are you getting radiation? <laughs> you can Support. certainly be with them. Absolutely. Support for Absolutely. Glory to God. Thursday's the day. We've had some other procedures and things like that to get things ready. Mm-hmm. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you that the work you have done in this body is not going to be undone that Satan cannot bring back what you have taken away in the name of Jesus. 
We speak to this cancer in the name of Jesus. You have to go now in the name of Jesus. And whatever treatments that they give him in this radiation, in the name of Jesus, they will only be, they will only do good and not harm. In the name of Jesus. Father, I thank you for it. We give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Glory to God. Good to see you today. All right. Um, we're going to get, go right on into our um, salt meeting. If you are make, not making plans to stay, please stay. We've got some really good things to go over with you. Really important. And I hope that you all, all stay. hope that's an, enough said on, on that part that you can, you can stick around. Wednesday, uh, we went over some really important things. And some of you folks made it out here. And, and we had a good time. If you were not here, it is up. I put it up right away on Thursday so that you all could see. What was going on, and we will talk about a little bit more about that uh, here to, at the salt meeting here today. But we're going to be picking up where we left off. And if you weren't here, well, we'll go over that at the at the salt meeting. So we'll we'll leave that one for for there. Then on Sunday, of course, we have next Sunday is the day that we are going to be bombarded with kids. We're going to have 140 so far, plus.